0: Of the Lord today, worshiping God. And if you're visiting with us, we especially want to know uh, want you to know how pleased we are that God has led you our way to uh, join us in worshiping Him today. And so if you're our guest, would you do us one small favor? When you came in today, you would have received a bulletin. Inside that bulletin, there is a place for you to fill out just a brief record of your visit. This uh, panel that I'm referring to actually tears out of the bulletin just like this. You can fold it up, you can place it in the offering plate just a little bit later on. Kingsville folks, let's do what we enjoy to do, and that is hug some necks, tell some folks
1: hello this morning, especially those guests around us.
2: that God invites people of all ages to join him in his work. And I want us to listen to a story, a poem from John chapter 6.
3: The crowds that came crowding around him that day listened carefully to all that the Lord had to say. And then when his teaching was done for the day, the disciples tried to send all the people away. But Jesus said no, for they like a small treat, so why don't you give them something to eat? Well, none of his disciples thought that was too funny, because they didn't have food and they didn't have money. There were... There are thousands of people, all hungry, they said. We have not the bread for these folks to be fed. Then Andrew and Philip found a boy who had brought five loaves of bread and two fish, fish that he had caught. That's plenty, said Jesus. Then he said a short prayer, and he handed the food to the folks who were there. They broke it and they broke it and passed it and passed. They broke it and passed it and broke it some more. Each time they broke it, there there was more than before. Until everyone sitting on the ground had eaten their fill and gobbled it down. Then Jesus had them gather the food that was spilled. And, the, and when they were gone, 12 baskets were filled. And in the end, all those people were full and were green, and there was more food than at the beginning.
2: Okay, so that was our um, big story for Wednesday night, too. And we just want to kind of remind us that the story is not really about the boy. The story is about God getting glory and people spreading Jesus' name. And people after that, they believed in Jesus because of what they had seen. And so this week on your children's bulletin, if you didn't get one, we have some extra ones right here on the pew. On the back side, there's a little invitation. Raise your hand if you'd like to get an invitation. you like to be invited to something, a party, a shower, things like that. We all, we really, I think everybody really loves getting an invitation. It makes us feel included. It makes us feel happy. And so there's this open invitation always from God. And so Whenever we get to, if we feel sad because we didn't get, get invited to something, we have to remember we're always invited to join God in his work. And so you have some really good questions on the back of here. One of them is, what are some things that God may be inviting me to do? And the other question is, how can I respond to God's invitation? So that's your homework this week. If you didn't get a children's bulletin already, there's some on the pew. You can grab one on your way um, out. But those are the questions for this week. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, we thank you that um, you have an open invitation to join you in your work. I pray that we would have eyes that would see how you're working and that you would give us the courage to join you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand together
3: and sing, as well. Thank like. you.
1: turn your Bibles to Hosea chapter 1 verses 1 through 9 and also Hosea chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Let's read together. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea the son of Barry during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah kings of Judah and during the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu." For the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put, to, put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her lo Rahamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, but I will ever forgive them. But I'll have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned, lo, Rahamah, and conceived and gave birth to a son, and the Lord said, Name him Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Now in chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half barley, half of barley. Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, And they will come trembling to the Lord and to His goodness in the last days. Let's pray together. Father, we sing and we pray this morning that it is well with our souls. Father, it is well because we are loved by You. Father, not because of any merits of our own, not because of any works of our own, but because of the work of Christ, we are loved and pursued. By you, Father, I pray that we would see ourselves this morning, Father, as, as those desperate for you, as the ones who have, have sinned against you. And even as you have called us as your own, Father, there are times that we have continued to run away from you. But Father, you have continually pursued us through Christ because you are good, because it's your nature. Father, we pray that we would know your love, Father, but I also pray that we would obey you. And that we would love You. Father, I pray that we would go forth from here. Loving and obeying You. And loving man. So Father, I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.
3: Father, be with us as we study your word. Show us grace that we might learn about you and use your word to shape us to look more like Christ. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You may not know that Landon got a phone call this morning. Sean has the flu. So I think you need to let Landon know how much you appreciate him jumping in and taking care of us today. Praise the Lord. Really blessed with all the folks that God has put among us to serve us and to worship with us. Really thankful. Uh, You have some statistics up on the board. I want to reflect with you over what is now a 10-year period of ministry at Kingsville with one of the most excellent ministries that we've been able to carry out, and that's the ministry of Upward Soccer. Now, some folks say, well, how, how is a ministry like soccer really a ministry? What's really unique because many of our ministries are kind of go to ministries. We go to and we serve in so many places globally. We go to and we serve in many places locally, between the Hope House and the uh, Main Street Mission, and serving our local schools, and the gift, and going house to house, and sharing the, uh, the grace of Christ through the Christmas time. So a lot of our ministries, in fact, most of our ministries are go-to ministries, which I think is a sign of a very healthy church. But some of our ministries are a come-here ministry, like the truckers' ministry is a come-here ministry, because we just happen to have one of the most active places for truckers in the whole region, and so that ministry is a come-here ministry where we set up and thankfully God brings in folks from all over, not just the United States, but We've met many folks who have come here from places around the world and who work here now in the states, but Upward Soccer is one of the most effective come here ministries. During soccer season, we have about 320 to 340 children on any given Saturday like ants all over our campus with their parents, with their siblings with grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and neighbors and friends. And our campus is full of folks who come here and who, through Upward Soccer, hear the weekly devotional that's taught to the children by the coaches during their weekly practices. And then all of their families and friends hearing the weekly devotional that's taught at halftime of every one of our soccer games. And so it's one of the most excellent come-here ministries, and you can see the growth from the very first year, season one in 2006. 50 to 60 coaches were used, 152 players. This past year, with 306 players and 92 coaches, and we're expecting more than 306 players again this year, And we'll need uh, 90-plus coaches again. And so here's what I would love for you to do. Right in front of you are a couple of things inside your bulletin. Take them out with me. First is I want to ask you to join us in prayer. Very important. Prayer is the work of the ministry. And we want to encourage you to join us in 100 days of prayer for Upward Soccer. You have a very simple prayer guide that covers 100 days of prayer that you can take the time daily to pray. You can put this somewhere where you'll be reminded to pray every day for and each specific need that's listed on there. Uh, second is registration. If you have children or you have friends who have children, neighbors who have children, co-workers who have children, this is the registration form and it can be done with the form and I believe also online at www.kingsvillebaptist.org. So if you'll go there, you can sign up online. This is a wonderful opportunity, and we are still in the process of recruiting coaches and co-laborers and workers to be a part of this ministry. And we have seen wonderful fruit through this ministry. And if you've never been a part of this, this would be a great year to say, you know, I'll be involved in some way, and if you want to know how effective it is and you haven't been here, show up on a Saturday morning about 10 a.m. Does it max out about 10 o'clock? It maxes out about 10 o'clock. Show up on Saturday about 10 and just watch. Watch your co-laborers in Christ love on the children. Watch folks give devotions that are fantastic. They put time into the preparation. Watch as the love of Christ is demonstrated to folks who many have no relationship with church and have no relationship with God. And so we're delighted to be a part of this ministry. Join us. And you have contact information in the bulletin. The two point people for this are Christetta Miller and Wendy Blocker. And you are welcome to contact either one of them if you need more information. Join us. And by the way, you can be a soccer coach if you've never played soccer. You actually can do that. And we have many head coaches who simply need an assistant coach. And sometimes the assistant coach's job is not to have a great deal of soccer knowledge, but to be really good at hurting children. And so you could come and even help with such a thing. It's just kind of keeping everybody grouped up so that we can do the teaching and the coaching. So I really appreciate that. This is the 10th year. Let's give Wendy and Christette a hand for all of this ministry. It's been great. One last thing, just to show you how involved we've been. If you have worked in Upward Soccer in any form over those 10 years, would you stand up? I want you to look around and watch this. Look. This is how involved we've been with Upward Soccer. Diverse, wonderful group. All right. Now, we have a couple of folks who started in the very first year and went all the way through. Who's that? Who are they? Who started and went all the way through? All right, go ahead, Nathan. These folks went all the way through from the start. Look at this. All right, give them a hand. That's endurance. That is great. Thank you. That's wonderful. Okay. Um, I want to also invite you to something really important. We've begun having prayer time at 6.30 a.m. here at the sanctuary On Wednesday mornings, we go, we start sharp at 630, we end sharp at 7 and uh, we have some snacks afterwards. Usually we always have coffee. And so we want you to join us and pray together. This time of experiencing God has been delightful for our church body. Come and join us for prayer and pour your heart out before the Lord. Join me now in the book of Hosea. No book in the Bible more clearly illustrates the story of God's love prior to the cross than the book of Hosea. It's absolutely beautiful. And it is a story. It is a love story. It is a sorrow story. It is a joy and restoration story. And it is a story of the love of God. Does anybody remember... From memory, Romans 5.8 and could call it out. Maybe a Bible driller. Romans 5.8. Anybody? But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Hosea is the Romans 5.8 of the Old Testament. It is the best pre-cross illustration and demonstration of God's love. It is given in the most intimate of settings. It's given in the most intimate of relationships. It's a story about marriage. And it's a story about God's marriage to a people corporate people, Israel, individual peoples, the Israelites, and it is a story of a love relationship and a pursuit of God coming after those that he loves. And so this fifth week, studying our fourth chapter, our fourth session in experiencing God, is that God pursues a love. Relationship. You heard Steve read the book of Hosea in chapter 1 and chapter 3. The entire book is worth us just sitting down one day and reading together. It is a beautiful book about a sinful people and a loving God and a pursuit that would not be satisfied until the people were won by the love of God. Of all the things that you need to resolve in your life, that you need to settle, that you need to make sure of, that you need to nail down and have as a finished deal in your heart, it's this. It is to know the love of God. That is the single most important issue for you to settle. It is the preventative against sin. It is the power to endure. It is that which gives us hope to look forward to a time of being united with the great lover of our souls. It produces such fruit in us of forgiveness and likeness of the character of God. And so God in Hosea is giving us an object lesson through the real life of a broken hearted prophet. Every page of the book of Hosea literally drips with sorrow and anguish, mingled with love and affection. And it is a strange mixture of an incredible love and a brokenhearted sorrow. I wanted to launch today's message just with number one, God's love is a pursuing love. There's not enough time for us to to show how all over the Bible that this is God's pattern. When Adam and Eve had sinned and gone and hidden themselves, God pursued them. He came looking for them, saying, Where are you? He came looking for Abraham, pursuing him. In the book of Exodus, the Lord tells us in this beautiful passage in the beginning of the book, He said, I have come down to deliver my people. It's the idea of a God who pursues, who comes after us. And the pursuit is highlighted in two particular words It's in chapter 1, verse 2, and in chapter 3, verse 1. Let's compare those. Look in chapter 1, verse 2. Then the Lord spoke first through Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, go. This is what God looks like. He is on the go, pursuing. This is the picture of God In pursuit and particularly paralleling God's pursuit of the children of Israel when He came to deliver them through the Exodus. When He came down and became known as Yahweh, the God who is and particularly the God who is with His people. He came down and set among His people His presence. That was what distinguished Israel from all the nations of the earth was that this pursuing God was a God who would go from heaven to earth and place His presence among His people. And so in chapter 1, the parallel of the love story between Hosea and Gomer and God and Israel is a parallel of when Hosea first went to get her, to marry her. And when God first came down to deliver His people Israel from the Exodus, that He would be with them. And so we have a pursuing God. Chapter 1 parallels something that's happened in the past. Listen carefully. Chapter 3 is paralleling something that will happen in the future. When God will once again come down as a lover to make His presence known among His people. And when was that? It says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then in 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hosea 3 has its parallel, not in events of the past, but in the messianic prophecy that God would again one day descend as a lover in pursuit of His bride, but it would take place in Christ. That's why the angel said to Joseph, He shall be known as Emmanuel, God with us. And so God is a pursuing God. Pursuing Israel in the Exodus. Pursuing Israel in Christ. And so when we look at this work of God God is a pursuing God. Chapter 1. Go, Hosea, be like me. Chapter 3. Go, Hosea, be like me. But I want you to notice, number 2, God's love is a passionate love. When God first goes to pursue Israel, it's described in some very painful terms. Now, the danger when we start reading Hosea, is that we think we know some gomers. When we start to read it, we think, boy, I know some gomers. If you approach Hosea that way, I will tell you it will do you no good. It will be not only not beneficial to you, your reading of the book of Hosea will actually harm you. Because in the story of Hosea, the only way for us to understand it is for each one of us to take on from the beginning the role of Gomer. If we fail to do that, we will fail to understand the story or its significance. And so God in His pursuing love has a passionate love. I want you to see how passionate it is. In verse 2 of Hosea 1, it says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, there it is, pursuing, take to yourself a wife of harlotry. This was very painful for Hosea to participate in. Scholars are really kind of divided about how they interpret this. Was she already a harlot or did she become a harlot later? If we will read the Old Testament, we will come to the conclusion that she was already a harlot because when God came down to Israel in the Exodus and when God first appeared to Abraham in the call that he had in Genesis... Both occasions were occasions where someone had already engaged in a worship of a false deity and had already given their heart over in false worship to other gods. And so Israel was already guilty of assimilating to themselves the gods of Egypt and worshiping them. So when God comes to them, it's not like He's coming to a pure, virginal people. He's coming to a people who are already steeped in sin. He has come not because of their purity, but because of His love. Not to take them in their purity and keep them pure, but to love them in their idolatry and make them pure. That's... The goal of the story of Hosea. And so God's love is a passionate love. Go and take for yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. Why is he using this as an illustration? Well, it's a living illustration of what is going on in the day of Hosea. I want to be careful how much I share here. If you read Hosea thoroughly, you'll get the picture very well. But in Hosea's day, the way that they served the false gods was through immorality because they thought that those gods were gods of fertility, gods that brought rain to the ground to give growth, god that gave gods that gave seeds so that they could eat, gods that gave fruit, and so the to worship those gods they would literally have shrines all over the place, and in those shrines, harlotry would take. And it was vile. And Israel had gotten to the place where in the book of Amos, if you'll read through the book, there's a story about what is called the rite of passage. Now, the rite of passage is sort of entering into adulthood. It's that moment where a young man is kind of considered a man. And the rite of passage in the book of Amos is, that Israel had stooped to was that a man would take his son to the same prostitute. And that would be a rite of passage declaring him a man. And that prostitute would work for Baal, one of the false religions. Israel had steeped itself in such darkness that that was what was known as the rite of passage of a young man growing up. That's how dark it had become. And so this picture that is given here of Hosea and Gomer is a picture of God's incredible love to a people who are sinful, who are wicked, who are idolatrous, who are adulterous in their hearts. And this is a story of an incredible, passionate love. Now, look look after he's taken her. They've had a family. She leaves him. She just packs up and she goes. And she continues her life of harlotry. Forsaking him. Forsaking the children. Forsaking the covenant. Forsaking the promises. Forsaking all of those things she lives. And we pick her up again in verse 1 of chapter 3. Here's his passion. He says to Hosea, Now I want you to compare. In verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, Go and take. Now the obvious implication is, Love her. It's implied. It's not explicit there, but it's implied. But when he gives the command to go back and get her in chapter 3, Here she is, she's given herself over, she's done these things to go back. He is very explicit about the passionate nature of his love. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman. He doesn't just say, take her this time. That was implied in the first interaction." but he has to make it explicit here because he's saying to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to reflect my character. I don't want you to just go and get her. There has to be something lying under why you're going to go get her. There has to be something, a ground, a foundation for you to stand upon when you pick her up. It can't be just that you were commanded. It can't just be that you have to. It has to be this. You have to love her. And Hosea does. He goes and he loves her. And so, in the story, God is making Hosea parallel God's character. And He says, here it is. It's a passionate love. Go and love her. And that gives us number three. God's love is not just pursuing and passionate God's love is a persevering love. Think what Hosea's been through. The whispers. The rumors. Stories. Hosea walks through the streets of his town. His eyes meet eyes with other men. And he wonders... You too? You too? You were with her also? You were at the shrine? You bought her services? The ache of knowing that day after day and night after night that she was going and living this lifestyle. But He persevered in that. This is a picture of the God who knows our hearts. And day after day and night after night in all of our loves and all of our lovers and all of our idols and all of our sin, God's love does not wear down. It is persevering even today. His love is persevering through everything you've been through, everything you've done, everything you've said. His love has persevered. And so God is getting Hosea to model himself to say, do you know what? This kind of love is persevering. It is enduring. What did it endure? Well, there's a very explicit set of texts in chapter 2. I don't want to give them all to you. Some of them probably would be better read privately, uh, especially the first few verses in chapter 2. But what I will do is... Summarize it in verse 5 because first verse 5 kind of tells how crazy it's gotten. Chapter 2, verse 5. For their mother has played the harlot, she who has conceived them has acted shamefully. She has said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. What's happened here? Well, In her harlotry, she's working for wages. And she sees these lovers as providers. She doesn't see them as sapping the life out of her and using her up. She doesn't see that her lovers do not really love her. They're only using her until she's used up. They're only profiting her from her while she's profitable. But she thinks that they are the source of her sustenance. Now, here's what's sad. It's a picture of how we think that this world can really make us happy. It's a picture of how we end up making things in this world ultimately satisfying when they're not. This world and the things of this world And the prince of this world, Satan, will only use us up and cast us off without any concern for what becomes of us, either now or in eternity. And so here, God's love is persevering, but she is calling these her providers. When God is really the provider. God is the only one who is capable of giving without needing anything in return. And He is the only one who can enable enable that in us. And so, His love is persevering. And if you read chapter 2 later thoroughly, you'll see what all the persevering was going on. But let me mention number four. God's love is, is also a particular love. He isn't changing here. God's not going, well, because this one didn't work out, Hosea, let's go get another one. God said, my love is particular. My love is for Israel. Now, the kind of particular love is broken down into three parts. It's very important. I want you to join me in Deuteronomy 7, 7 for a moment to understand that. During the calling of Abraham during the activity of the Exodus, God was carrying something out. He was carrying out a particular love. God didn't place His love on the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Debusites, the Hivites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Egyptians. No. God placed His love on whom? On Israel. And in Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 7, God says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. In other words, there's this particular nature of God's love coming and choosing Israel that He doesn't ever explain. He simply says in Verse 7, the Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. In other words, he started the whole thing. He booted the whole system up with Abraham. Just one guy. A nobody from nowhere. And he said, you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers. And so here is God's particular love to a people, Israel. Now I want you to make sure that you do not miss the significance of this. You are not from Israel. I don't know of anybody who is 100% Jewish in our congregation. If you're visiting with us today and you are, I am so glad you're here. But I don't know of anyone who's 100% Jewish you're not Israel, but I want you to know that you are not getting into heaven apart from Israel. I do not want you to miss this. I want you to go to Romans 11 with me for a very important illustration that God uses to make sure that you and I do not become arrogant about this love that God has placed on Israel as if somehow God's plan has changed and now He's taken His love off of Israel and somehow you're just kind of getting in apart from Israel God makes sure about that in Romans 11 with an important doctrinal, doctrinal illustration. He says, it's, it's a whole lot of theology here, but verse 17 kind of sums it up. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off, now the The branches are, there's this olive tree that represents Israel. Okay, and so he says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in, if you are going to heaven as a Gentile, you're only going because you were grafted into Israel. I'll tell you how in just a second. But when God set His love on Israel, that has not changed. That's not a, we're not in plan B. We're actually enjoying the fulfillment of plan A. What does it say? But if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became a partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. What is the rich root of the olive tree? The promises made to Abraham. Please hear me. You are only going to heaven because you are inheriting the promise made to Abraham. What was the promise made to Abraham? In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. How? Because you as a Gentile are being grafted into his seed into the rich root of the olive tree. And so Paul is making sure that the Gentiles aren't going, dude, I'm so glad it's plan B now and God's kind of moved from Israel over to us. God's love that was set particularly on Israel has not wavered in the least. And the reason that you are enjoying salvation is this verse. It says, You became a partaker with them in the rich root of the olive tree. Therefore, do not be arrogant towards the branches. In other words, don't don't get all puffed up and say, yeah, God's kind of had the thing for Israel at once and now he just loves us. (laughs) You are part of a particular people called Israel And you are the fulfillment of the promise that was made to Abraham. And the only reason as a Gentile that you are saved is that promise that God made to Abraham that in his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. How? By being grafted into the rich root. Jesus said, my father is the true vine, I'm the vine dresser. And then later on he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And so Jesus takes on the role of God as the vine. His love is a particular love as a people. Second, it's particular love in that it's personal to you. I, I want to not get ahead of myself, but God's not kind of having just some nebulous love out there. Kind of just nebulous, just kind of Colonel Sanders up in the sky, just saying, man, I just kind of love. His love is very particular in that it pursues us at a personal level. So let's go to the next part, so don't get ahead. Number five, God's love is a personal love. It's not nebulous. It's not, uh, it's not sort, of a, sort of an idea or a concept or something floating around. And ethereally, if you breathe it in, you'll feel it. It is a specific love placed on a people, placed on persons through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it's a personal love. And I want to show you how personal it is. It's absolutely glorious. When you get over into chapter 2, come with me to chapter 2. To me, this is almost the best thing in the whole message. I just love this part. It's just great. Verse 14. Here's the future. And he's, he's talking uh, in, a, in a beautiful terms. He says, uh, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. This is God's wooing of his people as a group and persons in particular. And bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Now jump down to verse 16 and it will come about in that day declares the lord that you will call me ishi and you will no longer call me Baalie. this is important sometime during the time of israel they had mingled the name of god with the name of baal and the word baal was a general name that could be husband or it could be master or it could be the or owner all three of those ideas were there. It was used generically of husbands as one who kind of owned their wives. Wives were considered property in that day. It was used as master, as a husband, as a master over his wife, or uh, it was used as master as in somebody who has servants. Uh, it, and it was used as owner, somebody who just uh, owned a piece of property. He was called Baal. But it was also used as the name of a deity who was said to bring rain and crops and all of these things. There was a male and a female god at their time uh, that, that they had imagined up uh, that were backed by demons and their ideology. And those, the, the male counterpart, the male god was, was known as Baal. The female was known as Asherah. What does that have to do with anything? This word. The word ishi harkens not back to owner or husband as a possessor or manager, boss. It harkens back to Genesis. It harkens back to an intimacy that Genesis has. If you remember, in Genesis when it says, She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. The word for man there is ish. The word for woman there is Isha. And it's a picture of a oneness and an intimacy at the highest level. And what God is saying is the kind of relationship he wants us is intensely, intimately, as personal as the union of a man and wife who are one flesh. It is a picture of us in Christ. It is a picture of us completely loved by God in perfect intimacy with Him. And He says the day is coming when you'll realize the intimate, personal nature of my love. And you won't refer to me as master, owner, husband who considers property. No, you'll think of me as beloved the bride of Christ will think of God in Christ as husband, as one flesh. But God goes further in Hosea, and I'm going to wrap these up kind of quickly and, and get to this glorious ending. Number, number six, God's love is a public love. Now, there's no way around this moment without the intense pain of chapter 3 and how there's a parallel in the New Testament. Look in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Raisin cakes were kind of part of the procedure when they were going to the cultic shrines where the prostitutes were. It's kind of crazy stuff there. And he said in verse 2, So I bought her. I want you to think about this for a second. Hosea has to go to town. His wife has so spent herself that she cannot even perform the things she was doing before and earn enough money to buy herself out of debt. In other words, she is now unattractive and unusable. She's worked as a harlot And now she is so unattractive and unusable that she can't even make enough money to pay herself out of debt. She's spent. She has nothing to offer and no power of her own to redeem herself. Now there is no more important point in all of this for you to get than to understand that is your condition because of your sin. You have spent yourself spiritually so much into debt that there is nothing you can do to earn your way out. Nothing. And here comes Hosea. Can't you see? It's a slave auction, it's a debtor's auction. People are in debt, so they're being sold to pay their debt off. And so she's on the auction block and the crowd is all around and the murmuring and everybody's looking up and saying, isn't, isn't, isn't that Comer the prophet's wife? Oh dear God, what happened to her? Y'all remember how pretty she used to be? Y'all remember that everybody in town used to see her and say, Woo! Yes! Is that the same person? And the crowd's all standing around and ain't nobody bidding. And the crowd parts. Here comes a guy with a donkey parting the crowd, making his way. Snickers, jeers, gasps. As Hosea the prophet humbly parts the crowd, reins of the donkey because the donkey has to carry the homer and a half of barley, pocket jingling with the money that he's about to spend, and the crowd silently parts, and amid the gasps and the ooze and the snickers and the embarrassment, the crowd parts and he beholds her, and he loves her. And she is for sale and nobody wants her. And so he pays for her. Right in front of everybody. No secret backroom deal. A slave auction on a public square. A man has to buy his wife out a hawk. There is no way to understand this without going to Romans 3. I want you to go there. Because Romans 3 blows this up in our face. Because what's happening is a prophecy of something that's going to take place in the Messianic age that is going to stun us. Romans chapter 3. We're going to be astounded by the wording here. Come with me. And if you've ever wondered why is the wording this way in Romans 3, here's why. It's glorious. Here it is. We have to start in 19. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Listen carefully. For there is no distinction. Listen carefully. We, based on this verse, we are all gomers. And if you came here today and you can't take that in, that there is no distinction. Then the gospel, the gospel is not the gospel. It is only in seeing ourselves as having spiritually harlotted ourselves all in different ways. But there is no distinction. But listen to the good news. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift By His grace, through redemption which is in Christ Jesus. But here's the glory. Look in verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly. (laughs) When Jesus was on the cross, He was Hosea buying His gomer. And He was humiliated and embarrassed for your sake. Stripped, naked, made to look a fool so that He could buy you off the auction block of your soul. Whom God displayed publicly. When Jesus marched up that hill called Calvary, bearing that cross until He fell under the weight and could not bear it anymore, He was Gomer! Um, Excuse me, he was Hosea marching to buy his gomer off of the auction block. Humiliated at having to come and do so. But because he loves you so much, the humiliation did not stop him. And so here is public embarrassment and humiliation. But listen, my brothers and sisters, there is no greater public witness of God's love for you than the day he was Hosea on the cross buying his gomer. God loves you. And he has parted the seas of the masses of the people on this earth and the witnesses of the angels and the demons and Satan, and He has stood before His Father as an offering for sin, paying the amount that we were indebted, that because of the sickness and sin of our soul, we could never pay off. Here is God in Hosea saying to you, I'm not loving you from a distance. I'm not a legend. I'm not a story. I'm going to step into your world. I'm going to be humiliated. And I'm going to buy you from your auction block because I have a love for you. And so, number eight tells us that his love is a pardoning love. A pardoning love. I wish I had about 30 more minutes. I could just blow this open. There's so many more things my heart is burdened to tell you. But God's love is a pardoning love. In chapter 2, Back there where He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take her back to the wilderness and I'm going to love her and I'm going to pour out myself upon her with all grace and I'm going to form this new covenant, an everlasting covenant that cannot be broken and I'm going to forgive her sins and her iniquities and she will call me husband again and I will call her wife and it will all be made right. It's a pardoning love, but He doesn't leave us there. I've got to close with this. Number nine, and we close with this. God's love is a purifying love love. Look at what happens. Here's what is so important about this story. Gomer goes home with him. She leaves her lovers. And she goes home. And God purifies her by removing her from those things. Listen how He describes it. He says in verse 2, So I bought her, verse 2 of chapter 3, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot nor shall you have a man. So I will be also toward you, for the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. This is the picture of Jesus here. And they will come trembling to the Lord in His goodness in those days. His purifying love is that God will have no suitors, no rivals, no competitors. This is very important in marking who has come who has finally arrived at Gomerdom and and, and went with Jesus. They've left their sin. They haven't become sinless. They've left. They've said, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm coming to Jesus. In fact, it says in the book of Hebrews, whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And if you are without discipline, then you don't belong to Him. In other words, God loves you. And because he loves you, he will not let you continue in spiritual harlotry. If you are his, he will begin the process of purifying you through his love because he knows that you can never be happy without him. And so he will begin. We've we've used lots of different terms for it. Purifying, washing. We've used, used the term honing or shaping. But it is always a truth that those who've truly seen themselves as gomers and have heard the loving call of a God who looks like Hosea, they have left the auction block, they have left their lovers, and they have followed their true love. Would you bow with me? As we look at God's pursuing love, it is important for you to know that He is the initiator and that tug that you sense in your heart, knowing his love, that draw, that pull, that is his initiative and love towards you. That sense of conviction for your sin, that is his letting you know that you really are a Gomer. I really am a Gomer. And that desire to be clean and pure and holy is his way of letting us know that we truly by His sake will, by His power, by His will desire righteousness. And so to come today rightly to God, we've just got to be able to see ourselves as gomers. And thank God that Hosea was a great picture that publicly God would display His love and purchase us with a price. For Hosea, it was some silver and some barley for you. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's His love for you. And so I'm going to ask you today to respond to His love. To know that He has sought you and bought you and He wants to bring you into that intimacy where you call Him Ishi, You see yourself as the bride, Himself as the glorious husband, Christ our Savior. And you would turn to Him today. that. Some of you, you come here today and you really feel the weight of being a Gomer. Things in your life that you've done. Some in the likeness of Gomer and some not, but all making you feel dirty. I want you to know there's a washing, there's a cleansing. What can make me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He wants to wash you today. And He wants to give you life. Wouldn't you come to Him? Wouldn't it be glorious today for a whole bunch of us to just say, We are Gomer's. And us to realize that God is a great loving Hosea, who publicly came and humiliated himself to buy us and rejoiced that he looked on us in our used up state and he loved us and he bought us for his own self with the highest possibility. The blood of his own soul Wouldn't it be great if we all ran to God today and knelt at his feet and said, Thank you. Thank you. You saw me, you loved me. Bought me, you'll keep me. Would you stand as God stirs your heart today? Would you respond to